kind father um, hadn't intended to pray. I feel uh, a little constrained in my spirit. I don't think it's any accident that we, the song we just sang, celebrates your faithfulness, your goodness. dovetails so well with what we talk about. And I know, Father, because I've been with lots of people this week, just a heaviness. So many that are hurting. So many are wondering, maybe grasping after those truths, the faithfulness of God and the goodness of so I pray for, I don't know what I pray for. I pray for a release of your healing over the congregation that are on line right now. For a release of your truth, of your justice, of your healing, of your deeply personalized care in the lives of hurting people. Touch your richness to your word. And we're going to read stuff today that, oh, it's so inviting. It's so true. It's so life-giving. So I pray that we would have a, a, a deep-seated attentiveness. And then it would, by your spirit, just come and shape us and renew us and, and allow us to be just deeply surrender to you in these things. So we welcome you. We pray you're exalted now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And so we've been in this series where we're looking at the life of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, some of the great spiritual fathers of the kingdom of God. And we've been saying, what can we learn from these guys? What, how can we see their interrelationship as a family, as grandfather, dad, and son. We've been using the image of the relay race, and there's a picture of a relay race behind you, behind me anyway, in front of you. And, uh, and we've been talking about the image of passing the baton. What am I passing on? What are the things that I'm giving to the coming generation? And we've been saying this to represent this incredible series of faith lessons we learn from these guys, things that are to be celebrated, things that point us to Jesus, as well as the patterns in their life, the actions in their life that we don't want to repeat. And there's a number of those as well. And so we want to draw those lessons out, and we want to say, um, what are the things we can grasp onto and, and institute into our life? And then how can we have the courage to break some of the generational patterns of sin that we see, sadly, in these families. And today I want to just kind of biblically look at a couple of big ideas, a couple of questions that we often have. How do we cope with the consequences of sin in our life? And what effect does our disobedience have on the purposes of God, on the plans of God. 
And so if you have your hard copy Bible or your device, I'm going to invite you to turn to Genesis 27. Debbie's going to begin reading in verse 41 through 46, 1 through 5, and then 10 through the balance of the chapter. Genesis 28, 41. Esau held a 27, grudge. Sorry. Sorry? 27, sorry. <laughs> 27, 41. I love my wife. She's yep. awesome. Eh? Yeah. Oops. Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. He said to himself, The days of mourning for my father are near, then I will kill my brother Jacob. When Rebekah was told what her older son Esau had said, she sent for her younger son Jacob and said to him, Your brother Esau is consoling himself with the thought of killing, him, killing you. Now then, my son, do what I say. Flee at once to my brother Laban in Haran. Stay with him for a while until your brother's fury subsides. When your brother is no longer angry with you and forgets what you did to him, I'll send word for you to come back from there. Why should I lose both of you in one day? Then Rebekah said to Isaac, I'm disgusted with living because of these Hittite women. If Jacob takes a wife from among the women of this land, from the Hittite women like these, my life will not be worth living. So Isaac called for Jacob and blessed him and commanded him, Do not marry a Canaanite woman. Go at once to Padanaram to the house of your mother's father, Bethuel. Take a wife for yourself there, from among the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. May God Almighty bless you, and make you fruitful, and increase your numbers, until you become a community of peoples. May he give you and your descendants the blessing given to Abraham, so that you may take possession of the land where you now live as alien the land God gave to Abraham. Then Isaac sent Jacob on his way, and he went to Badan Aram, to Laban, son of Bethuel the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, who was the mother of Jacob and Esau. Down to verse 10. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night, because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it and there above it stood the Lord. And he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, 
How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel, meaning house of God, though the city used to be called Luz. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me, and will watch over me on this journey I am taking, and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear, so that I return safely to my father's house, then the Lord will be my God, and this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house, and all that I have you get, that you give me, I will give you a tenth. may recall that uh, from a couple of weeks ago as we've been in this series that Isaac and Rebecca, Jacob's dad and mom, um, had difficulty getting pregnant, just like the grandparents, Abraham and Sarah. And so Isaac and Rebecca wait some 20 years not able to have children, and then God gives them a child. In fact, he says, I'm going to give you twins. And along with that promise comes a prophetic word that the older son, the firstborn son, would be, that, sorry, he, that the older son would serve the younger son, which was entirely contrary to how that society was set up and that culture was run. We discovered a couple weeks ago that, that Isaac and Rebekah, just like Abraham and Sarah, they propagated this generational sin of playing favorites. And so Isaac loved Esau, the oldest, and Rebekah loved Jacob, the youngest. We've learned that they had learned, sadly, these lessons from grandpa and grandma. And these, this playing of favorites amongst the family drives a huge wedge in the family between husband and wife and between the relationship of the kids to their parents. And it goes way beyond normal sibling rivalry and there's this huge wedge that's driven between the two brothers. Once again, we see another generational sin propagated, this time by Rebecca. She knows how earlier with Abraham and Sarah, they were giving prophetic words they decide to do an end around on God's promise and try to make it happen the way they want it to happen. And so Rebecca says, I will do the same kind of thing. And she tries to bring about the fulfillment of the prophecy about her twin sons and says, I'm going to short circuit God's preferred future. And she ends up lying to her husband manipulating the situation so that her favored son, Jacob, would receive the things that had been meant for Esau. Jacob plays a subservient role in all of this, but an active role. And he didn't have to do these things. He didn't have to obey his mom in this sin, but he chooses to enter in. And he gets involved in the conspiracy and the lying and the manipulating and the cheating. And they operated under a premise that sadly we will operate under at times. 
or we think in our mind, the end justifies the means. You ever do that? There's this thing out there that seems really good, seems of God. And I'm not, but however, I'm not prepared to wait for him to have it play out the way he wants it to play out, in the manner in which he wants it to come about. And so we do an end around, and we rationalize and we justify our actions because we see the end goal. This is exactly what this family now, two generations, has been doing. And it attaches in both cases to significant consequences. We talked about the consequences in the first generation. We're going to see the consequences begin to play out now in the second generation. And sadly, we often operate under this mistaken illusion that we can more or less sin in these situations with immunity. And we sort of corrupt a wonderful truth from God. And we think to ourselves, well, I can corrupt these things because God has to forgive me. And I choose to do wrong things or I choose not to do the things I know I should because he just has to forgive me and then I'll just skate through scot-free. Please forgive the excuse of my name in that context. I thought it was funny. Um, And so we lie or we manipulate or we twist the facts or we steal or we play favorites or we do whatever it is we do all because we've decided in our hearts to try and step into God's rightful place of leadership in our life. I'm going to make his purposes be fulfilled not in the way he wants, but in the way I want to do it. And we think there's going to be no repercussions, or I think sometimes we think to ourselves, yeah, there might be some repercussions, but I can handle them. They'll be manageable. So begin to think with me now for a couple of minutes about what happened as a result of these choices by Rebecca and by Jacob. The first thing that happens in verse 41 of chapter 27 is it sends his older brother Esau into a murderous rage. And he basically makes a vow and he says, as soon as dad dies, because dad is near the end, as soon as he dies and we go through the mourning period, I'm going to murder my brother. Now it's interesting to me that he didn't want to murder mom too. But he wants to murder his brother. Jacob is forced to flee for his life. He needs to leave his home. He needs to leave his family. He literally kind of has to go with just the clothes on his back in some senses. As he goes, he's going to have to start over really from scratch financially and, and emotionally and relationally. After he leaves... Try to imagine what it was like having supper in the tent or whatever, or sitting around the fire at night. Imagine the tension between Rebecca and Esau, mom and oldest son. You sold me out, mom. Imagine the tension between Rebecca and Isaac, husband and wife. You blew up 
our family. All because they've made the choice to circumvent God's leadership in fulfilling an incredibly wonderful plan. A plan of great blessing that's going to touch all the peoples of the world and all of their descendants, all because they thought they knew better. I want to stop for a minute and remind you of a beautiful truth in the midst of this tough stuff. Because of Jesus Christ, because he went to the cross for you, because he sacrificed everything for you, and God did, and he held nothing back, when we sin, there is absolute full and free forgiveness available from God. This forgiveness is not found in any other place. Doesn't matter what you do or don't do. It's not found in any other place. And the Bible literally says we can be cleansed from all unrighteousness. And the image is that of, of, of being scrubbed clean with hyssop. And as you're thinking about your life right now, don't succumb to the temptation to believe the lie of the evil one. And he might be trying to whisper this to you right now, that God's offer of full forgiveness is not really full. That somehow it can be used up. That somehow it's available for those people over there, but not really available for you. These are lies from the pit that we often, often wrestle with. At the same time, bear in mind, there will be repercussions that attach when we make these kinds of choices. Repercussions, quite frankly, even though we're completely forgiven by God if we repent and ask for forgiveness, Repercussions that can hang on for the rest of our life. They can. What do you suppose was going through Jacob's mind as he jumped on the camel and starts making this really, really long journey to his uncle's place? I'm just speculating a little bit right now, but he had a lot of time to think. And the camel is plodding along step after step. I'm guessing at first he was probably scared. I'm guessing at first he was looking over his shoulder a lot to see if there was any clouds of dust on the horizon behind him, a sign of his brother coming after him to kill him. But after he got far enough away, I'm guessing, and I'm just guessing again, but I'm guessing that he had to started to have these kinds of thoughts. I've ruined my life. I've ruined the lives of my family. I wonder if they could ever forgive me. My mom totally messed it up and said, just enough, if enough time goes by, your brother will forget about this stuff. He was never going to forget about that. That never works. It has to be dealt with and forgiveness has to be pursued. 
and then God brings healing over time. I wonder if they could ever forgive me. I wonder if I could ever forgive myself for what I've done. And most importantly, I wonder if God can forgive me. Maybe the things I've done are beyond forgiveness. Maybe I've forfeited the promises that God, oh, this breaks my heart. The promises that God gave to Grandpa in Genesis chapter 12, when he said to Abraham, my Grandpa, all the nations of the world, including us right here today, will be blessed through our lineage. I will give you land that will be your inheritance. I will bless your lineage and you will become, your family line will become a great nation. So many people, it, it'll be like basically impossible to count. And he's thinking to himself, did I destroy all of that? Have I wrecked it all? And I, I'm, I'm just going to go out on a limb here and guess that there might be some people here asking those kinds of questions about their life. Different circumstances in your life, but you're arriving at the same kinds of conclusions. I don't know what you've done. Maybe it's only you and God that actually knows. And you're actually laboring under the illusion that it's a secret. I want to remind you, gently but firmly, even if no other human being knows, God knows. Every thought you have, everything you do, all-knowing, all-knowing. And you're thinking to yourself, I've ruined my life and the lives of some people around me that I care about? Have I ruined God's purposes for me? I know it says in, in the scripture that God has a plan for me, a purpose for me. He wants to make a difference for eternity, for eternity through my life. Have I destroyed that? Have I wrecked it? And those people that I've done this to, can they ever forgive me? I wonder if I could ever forgive myself. And most importantly, can God forgive me for this? I said earlier, and I remind you again, the forgiveness of God is not limited. It's, it's almost impossible for us to even really understand this and really appreciate it. Because we think of our own human limitations and we tend to project them onto God. But God is so wonderful and his forgiveness because of Christ is available full and free. Purchased at this incalculable cost for each one of us. Another thing that's just mind-boggling when you think about this stuff is that on one hand, God is perfectly holy and just. And yet at the same time, he's perfectly merciful and is overflowing full of grace. 
And so even though God's justice is, is addressed by Christ fully, I think he often doesn't give us the full measure of the consequences that should be visited in our lives. In fact, I would argue that if we really received all that we really deserve, we would have destroyed ourselves a long time ago. The sustaining hand, the grace of God has saved us, not only spiritually, but in a general sense, have provide, stopped us from destroying ourselves. So this story, in a breathtakingly beautiful way, demonstrates the mercy of God, the grace of God in the life of Jacob. And I want to just say to you, this can be your story too. This can be your story too. And obviously the circumstances are different and it won't play out exactly the same, but the principles are the same. And so when we read the story, he's running for his life and God gives him a dream. Did you know that our God still speaks supernaturally to people through dreams? That's the, God isn't limited in any way. And so he speaks supernaturally to Jacob through a dream, and he still does that with people. He doesn't do it with everybody. He doesn't do it necessarily all the time, but he still does that, and he's in charge, and he decides. And so he gives Jacob this really personal communication, and he basically says to Jacob, hey, hey Jake, despite your very best efforts to blow up my plan and to thwart what I was trying to accomplish, I will still fulfill my promises because that's the kind of God I am. The promise I gave to your grandpa in Genesis chapter 12. And then as you read the story, as we were doing earlier in the series, a number of times in the, in the, in the chapters coming after chapter 12, God reaffirms the the promises. And in some places he actually amplifies it. He gives a little more information. And so all through the life of Abraham, this promise is affirmed. And then along comes Isaac, and he does the exact same thing for Isaac. And now in this dream, he does it one more time again for Jacob. And he says, hey, Jake, despite the scheming, despite the conniving, despite the manipulation, despite the lying, Sovereign Lord is still at work. Ever wonder sometimes why God doesn't just check out on us? Had enough of them? His nature is so beautiful. Mercy is so perfect, and yet he's totally just. So despite this, now three generations of this generational sin, despite this family's best efforts to do an end around on God's plan, God and his plan will prevail. 
So yeah, he had to leave his family's home. You know, he left more or less with his shirt on his back and had to run for his life. But his heavenly father still speaks to him. And he gets this stone pillow that must have been really comfortable. And God says, I'm going to give you the land. I'm going to bless all the nations of the world through your family lineage. You got no wife, Jacob, but I will build a great nation through you. So you've got a life in your, a wife in your future and a life too. Despite your deceit, God by his grace stands by his promises. Because of the mercy of God. Now it's interesting to me, there's a declaration in verse 21 that seems to suggest to me that Jacob really has a coming of a place of deep surrender to God. Where he says, you will be my God. And I have this seeking suspicion that he was riding on grandpa's and his dad's coattails. For Jacob, he comes to this place where it's not just dad's God anymore or grandpa's God anymore. The Lord will be my God. And friends, when you think about passing the baton, this is a crucial element of your life. What are you doing to point the next generation to the living Christ? What are you doing to live out the truths of God's word in the fullness of the spirit? What are you doing to own your stuff when you screw up and say, I was wrong, son, or my daughter, to my daughter, I sinned, please forgive me. Modeling the things of Jesus, praying for your kids, bringing them to a place where they're going to have God's word open to them regularly and accurately and in a way that's theologically sound. All of this important stuff, praying with them, all that kind of stuff. And so Jacob has this moment where this takes place. And let me just say to those of you that maybe are younger or whatever, are you riding on your parents' coattails? If you are, it's time for you to get into healthy, personal relationship with Jesus. They can't do it for you. They can model it for you. They can invite you into it, but you have to choose. And I'm just going to, a little warning here. If you think you can just ride on their coattails, you're going to wake up in 10 or 20 years with a boatload of regrets. Because God never became your God. It was always mom and dad's God. Or grandpa and grandma's God. So God has these purposes. And when we disobey, God says to us, Something like this. He goes, you know, uh, I'd really prefer the straightforward way. I would really prefer that you would cooperate, that you would surrender, that you would humble yourself. This is the kind of people God always wants to work with. That's what I'd prefer. 
But if you choose freely, and it's your choice, not to cooperate, not to be on board, you're going to regret it. Your choices will lead to repercussions. And even when forgiveness is given and all that stuff, there'll be some scars that get left behind typically. But my purposes, despite what you choose not to do, they're ultimately going to prevail. And so Jacob receives the mercy of God. And in response in that verses 18 to 22, he commits himself to God as deeply as he knows how. Now, people will look at this and they'll go, well, isn't this a rather shallow commitment that Jacob made here? Because he kind of, he's already received the promise, but his response to God is, well, um, yeah, I've already received this promise, and God, if you'll now provide some circumstantial evidence to me of your promise being fulfilled, then I'm in. He's kind of, I was thinking about it, and I think he's like an early version of the Apostle Thomas, doubting Thomas. Listen to what Thomas said. <laughs> After the resurrection, it says in John 20, so all the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. In other words, Jesus has risen from the dead. He's conquered sin and death. Here is Thomas's response. Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put his fingers where the nails were, put my fingers where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. So Jacob sort of says, God, if you make this happen for me, then I'll do this and this, and I'm in with you. And again, God is really patient with him as he takes what I would call some fledgling steps of commitment. And God is patient with us like that too. And when God is merciful with us like he was with Jacob, don't miss the chance. Don't miss what Jacob received. You know, some time ago I was, Debbie was with me. I was chatting with this young woman that um, was in a really serious car accident. She in many ways should have died. She was significantly injured, but she didn't. And she had grown up in a family where Christ was honored where the things of Jesus were lived out in front of her. Not perfect parents, but where the things of Jesus were lived out in front of her. And, and I talked to her forcefully, I'll put it that way, lovingly, but for, really glad you're okay. And I'd love to pray for God, his healing in your life. But then I kind of looked her in the eye and I said, don't miss this. Don't miss this. God has spared your life, and he has something for you. I don't know what it is, but he has something for you. And you've been dabbling with God. And it's time to be in all in with him. I don't remember my exact words, but it was words like that. So if God has shown you mercy, guessing he has, what will be your response? He says, God, you will be my God in verse 21. Not just mom and dad's God, not grandpa and grandma's God, but I receive you as my God. And then it's interesting, he says, and I'll respond generously. 
He says to me, he says in the verse, he says that he would tithe, which is a tenth off the top of, right off the top before taxes of his income. And he, and, and he does this very generously. And it's important to note, this is pre-law. Some people, I hear people go, oh, tithing, that's just from the law and we're in the New Testament. This is pre-law. Law hasn't come in yet. There's other examples of this. And he just says, I am all in with God. And I am going to just respond graciously and liberally to God's mercy. So, when you find yourself having honesty, a moment of honesty, and you admit whatever sin it is that hasn't been dealt with, and you repent and you're forgiven. You're grateful for that. Also consider the fact of the repercussions. Really thought they were going to be a lot worse than they were. There were consequences, but it seems like they weren't as bad as they could be or even really should be. Acknowledge that this is the God of mercy at work. The God of unending grace at work in your life. Patiently giving you another chance or lessening what you really deserve. That his promises will be fulfilled. Don't miss your chance to respond. Out of mercy. I'm going to ask everybody to just close their eyes and bow their head. And I just want you to think about a question. And this is the question. What is the mercy God is offering to me or has just offered to me? And I want you to consider that and just respond to it. And if you're here and you have never gone all in with Jesus, oh, he would love to receive you today. He would love to receive you today. Don't go from this place with leaving that unsettled. If you're online, interact with the person, the, the, the person online with you or call us and we will chat with you about what a relationship with Jesus is like. If you're here, don't leave, okay? Don't leave. Go and talk to someone you've come with, or there'll be people at the front, or you can talk to one of the pastors. The rest of us, I'd like you to take a minute and and zero in on what is the mercy God is offering to me or is just offered to me now, and just respond. And I'll say amen. Father, we're going to step out here now in just a moment. We're so grateful for how you love us. Love us enough to discipline us. You love us enough to extend mercy to us. Such a good God. Saying about that, the goodness of God, the faithfulness of God, the mercy of God. We 
celebrate these truths today. Thank you that they're not just truths that float around up in the clouds somewhere. that They make a difference real time in our life. For this, we are deeply, deeply grateful. As we go now, Father, we pray that, that Jesus will be on full display in our life because we're all in with you, all in with you. So we invite you to lead us now. We thank you for this day, the opportunity to worship together as a body. As we go, just remind you that there's food and breakfast and missions team is out there. I encourage you to hang around. I encourage you to give them the high five, encourage them, all that good stuff. God bless. Daryl Grant is up here at the front, one of our leaders. If you'd like to come and pray with him, he'd be honored to do that.